Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Kicked Back, a home for football fans that want to stay up to date on everything going on in the football world. Join Caroline, Liam, and some special guests along the way as they talk about all the trending news around leagues, players, teams, and much more. Now, all you got to do is get comfortable and kick back because we're about to get started. Bob, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. How are you? I'm good, thank you. and My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's get right into it. I want to start this episode off and let our listeners kind of know about your soccer background, football background, Calcio, whoever's listening from wherever they are, whatever you call it. Uh, it's a pleasure to have Bob on this episode because your parents came from Italy mm-hmm. and they moved to Canada. And then at the age of 14, you decided to have a conversation with your parents to say, hey, guys, I actually want to go back to Europe but this time England, because I aspire to be a professional soccer player. What did that conversation look like and how did it go for you? Well, first of all, you've obviously done your research because that's, that's quite uh, detailed. And- I'm quite, I'm quite creepy, Bob. This is now, now I'm kind of exposing myself. I may or may not have stalked you my whole life. Well, that, uh, and, and that's, that is perfectly accurate the way you've described that. And it was a, a real, um, interesting conversation and to the point where at one stage my mom said to me she said well uh, you, you, your education is is first and foremost and you know we need to make sure that that's addressed and and so we didn't figure that out uh and at one point she said well you know what we, i just we just can't do it we can't we can't let you go it would be it wouldn't be uh, the right thing to do. And so I said to her, well, you know, if you don't let me go, then I'm I'm never going to forgive you for the rest of my life. So a real nasty thing to say. <laughs> but uh, in the end, we compromised. And at that point, no computers. So uh, online teaching was, was not a, an option. And uh, I got a big box of books and I was going to do my correspondence through the grade 12 um, whilst I was there. I'm I'm sad to say that the box of books never got opened. <laughs> that I, was, I was far enough away that uh, we had one call a year at Christmas time just to, to to have a brief chat. But um, and that that is one of my biggest regrets. And you know, over the years, I've had the opportunity to speak to groups of, of children in schools and uh, soccer organizations. And one of the things I've stressed with them is 
you know, do as I say, not as I do, because it would have been easy for me to um, to continue my education. But um, I had visions of playing at Wembley Stadium, FA Cups, and all those things that kids dream about. And and I, it's one of the biggest regrets that I have is that I didn't maintain um, my schooling at that time. And, and like I said, one of my favorite sayings is youth is wasted on the young. So I, you know, you, you don't really, you don't have the, um, the, the, the maturity that you have when you get older, but then when you get older, you don't have the body that can allow you to still play. So it's one of those catch 22 situations, but um, in the end it, it, it did all work out. And um, I have had a career that uh, has had a lot of peaks and valleys, but um I've loved every minute of it. And the one thing that I tried to do throughout the process was avoid getting a real job because I don't think what I've done is a real job. Well, it's hard to call it a job when you love what you do so much, right? Absolutely, yeah. Talk to us about that passion. Talk to us about, obviously, if you're 14 years old and you want to go overseas and pursue that goal that obviously you, you were talking about was so important to you. What separated your love for the game so much, uh, maybe from even some other people that made you want to do that and made you have the confidence to do that? Yeah, I just had the bug. I was my my two uh, older brothers both played, and um, Sam actually uh, played with the original Whitecaps uh, in in the, the year of the startup in 1974. And my brother, younger brother Danny came along um, and so in one game the three of us did play in a match in 1978 cool. so uh, I think it's the one and only time that it's happened and happened in the NASL cool. uh, way back then so it I mean I just grew up with the sport I had a, a the passion was I think probably the Italian heritage mm-hmm. and um, the thing that that pushed me right over the top and with the World Cup you know uh, in the next couple of months coming up, I, um, we all woke up. I was 11 years old in 1966 and um, got up very early to watch England play Germany in probably one of the, the most uh, exciting World Cup finals ever. It ended up 4-2 for England. It went to overtime. Germany tied it in the last uh, minutes of the game. And one of the players that was playing in that game was Alan Ball. And but so my passion once uh, once the game finished, I said I am going to be a professional soccer player at eleven, and it was a little far fetched because there was no professional soccer in 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 North America, and it and it took a while for it to actually get here. Um. So and then the 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 follow up to that story is the guy that I was watching play as a nineteen year old win a World Cup with England. Uh, ended up coming to the Whitecaps in 1979. And so now I was playing alongside this guy who um, who I watched win a World Cup final. I had to separate my the fan in me from <laughs> being a, a teammate of this of this gentleman's um, because I was just in awe. Um, so I can honestly say that there's never been anything else in my mind. When people you know you ask you ask kids what they want to do when they grow up and a fireman, a lawyer, a doctor, if, and, and people did ask me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to be a professional soccer player and they chuckled. And, uh, but as I said, I've been blessed and uh, I've been able to, uh, to make a career out of something that 
there wasn't a lot of options to make a career out of the the game at that time. So does Alan Ball know you? He was you were his inspiration. He was. Oh, your- absolutely. Yeah? yeah, absolutely. That was one of the first things that um, that I I uh, came out of my mouth was the, the 1966 World Cup final, and and it was it was very interesting because he was a. He, he was a, a fantastic midfield player, and he always wanted the ball. And I know we've got a lot of time, so I'm going to just repeat this story, which is a, a great one because uh, obviously he was my one of my idols. And so the first game that he plays, we played a very rigid system, like, and I was the fullback, and you'd play the ball into the front, minimize the risk by playing through the middle of the park. And um, so, but he's a midfielder that wants the ball, so he kept coming to me. I didn't see him because I was listening to the coach and I was just winging it into the far end. And of course, as a midfielder, he then needs to make up the ground to try to support where the ball is going. So at halftime, we come in and it's Ellen ball comes down, sits down beside me, puts his hand on my lap. And he says, um, says, do you not see me? I said, I didn't know what he was talking about. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm coming to get the ball off of you and you're just hitting at 50 yards, and then I've got to run and support the front. If I ask for the ball, give me the ball. But I said, you know, the coach doesn't want us to do that. He said, don't worry about the coach. I'll look after the coach. When I ask for the ball, give me the ball. I said, you got it. And that was it. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah, I love yeah. the confidence of a soccer player, or any kind of athlete to be able to to say that and say, don't worry, I'll handle the coach, but I want the ball at my feet. As a player, I know that I would 100% want to give that other player the ball because I know business would be taken care of. Exactly. Exactly. And he did say, look, he said, I might give it right back to you, but we need to try to open up the space to play into it. Because if the other team knows that we're just hitting along, they'll drop off and it'll be difficult to to actually hit a ball into the front man. So, um, yeah, great story. And, and I, I, uh, to this day, I, I love repeating it cause it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that is a, is a vivid memory in my mind. <clears throat> so 14 years old, you went to England, you played with a professional club there. And mm-hmm. then by the time you're 18, you make the Canadian national team mm-hmm. at that point. What's going through your mind? Are you like, wow, I'm doing it. I'm doing something that people maybe thought I was crazy, but here I am and I'm representing my country. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, and at the game that my, my debut for Canada was at, uh, at varsity, the old varsity stadium in, in Toronto. Nice. And uh, we played Poland who uh, at the next world cup finished third and they were a very, very good team. And I happened to have a good match. We ended up losing three, one, but, um, I, uh, I had a, a, a pretty good match, as did the rest of our, our team playing against a, a side as, uh, as good as Poland. And then I went back. I, I actually came back from England, from Reading, to play that match and then went back again. And it was interesting because Reading were in the fourth division at that time. And it was a different – there wasn't a premiership. It was first division, second division, third division, fourth division. So I, um, I was getting calls from the, the daily papers there. And uh, because I think they found it odd that someone playing for Reading had just played against the team that England were going to play against to actually need to beat to qualify for the 74 World Cup. So I was getting asked about Poland and what were their strengths and weaknesses. And 18 years old, it's like, yeah, I'm not a coach. I just, I played and I enjoyed the game. And, 
But um, I just I just thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. Now that you know the major dailies in in, uh, in England are calling to ask about um, you know my thoughts on the Polish team. Ironically enough, I watched England play Poland, and uh, Poland be, uh, drew with England at Wembley Stadium. But England needed a win, and they got knocked out by Poland. Was this uh, what was this a qualification for the seventy six World Cup? Seventy four World Cup. Okay, I want to ask you about this because, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my dad, so we're Polish, biggest Polish. My whole family's from Poland. I'm the only one born in Canada. I grew up with my dad showing me tapes of this one situation when Bobby Moore had the ball. And apparently the Polish national coach told Lubinsky, Bobby Moore sometimes takes a first touch and it's a little too far ahead of him. And if you mm-hmm. see him do that, anticipate that touch, strip him of the ball and go one V one with the goalie. And it happened in that game. Lubinsky stripped Bobby Moore of the ball and went and scored that goal for Poland. So Bo- Poland ended up qualifying for that world cup and did not And England didn't. So that was a tape that <laughs> if I could tell you how many times my dad showed me that on replay. <laughs> Just to be like, if this ever happens in the game, try and emulate what Lubinsky did. And I'm like, I doubt that I would be in that position. I was I was a midfielder. But uh, that was just such a that like it's so funny that you say that because oh, that's, that was a big part of my childhood. I'm sure my dad, when he watches this later, he's going to smile and he's going to say, one day I want to meet Bob and I want to talk to Bob. I have such a feeling. Well, so, and we yeah. didn't bring that one up very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're still dwelling in 66. Yeah. So. <laughs> the um, that but that, but that and, and I should have actually no, because I'd see your your name. And I was wondering what uh, what the origin was of that. But yeah, so your dad, uh, there was a, a striker that ended up coming and living in Toronto, um, Lato. Yeah. That was the, I think, the either the top goal scorer at the 74 World Cup, and if not top, up there. And um, a lot of other players that went on to do very, very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that was the height of Polish soccer. Yes. It doesn't seem to have hit that, uh, been able to get back to that level since then. Yeah, there was Boniek, Lato, Kasperczak, Dana. There's a lot of guys that my dad would oh, talk Kazi Dana. Kazi Dana was a fantastic player. He came to play uh, at San Diego in the North American Soccer League. Mm-hmm. So I played against him a few times. And he died tragically in a car accident, unfortunately, in, in San Diego. It, it's... um. I hope that Poland in Qatar, you know, has some, you know, some engine in them, some fire. And, you know, obviously Lewandowski, we talk about him on our show very often, how, you know, he's always in the conversation as one of the best number nines in the world. But uh, I'm hoping that the rest of the Polish team kind of shows up. And Mm -hmm. for for, for Liam over here, I'm really hoping that England shows up. It's about time. It's about time. Liam, you, you you're not old enough to have the sorrow of post nineteen sixty six. But oh, no, I, I had two thousand eighteen for the Euros, and I woke up, and then twenty twenty. So I've had my fair share of the last couple, but I've still right. got to believe. But also, all the years before that was significantly worse. <laughs> you're right, and uh, it's it's kind of a unfortunately, if you're not English. Um, uh, you're you're quite ready to have a go at the English for every time you go to a World Cup, and I'm not suggesting you're doing this thing, but every time England goes to a World Cup, oh yeah, we're going to win the World Cup. Well, got it. They haven't won it since 1966, so you 
<laughs> you need to you need to change them. But they've been close on a couple of occasions, and um, I, I it, it is quite shocking that that they haven't um, they haven't and the close while well, Euros was the closest, and it looked like they were going to do that. Um, and then uh, yeah, as far as winning a World Cup. They want to get that monkey off off the off their backs soon. I'm I'm sure. Well, it's coming home this this win- this Christmas. There that- you go, the eternal optimism of the English. I love yeah, it. It's number one on my list. Anyway, I, I had a question actually about when you got called up to the Canadian team. Like, who called you? Like, how did you find out that you were making the team as an 18 year old? Uh, the coach at that time was uh, a gentleman by the name of Frank Pike, and. Uh, I just got the, the, the call that uh, – and my brother, actually, Sam, um, was playing for the national team. So we ended up playing side-by-side because side he was a centre-back and I, I started as a centre-back. So we were playing together in my debut, which was rather comforting to yeah. have your little brother there standing beside you to correct anything that uh, you make a mistake on. Was was it expected? Like, did you think the call was coming or was it kind of unlike, unlike now where the depth in our, in our national team squad is, is uh, at a point where it's never even been close to in the past. Like we've got, we, we could probably run out another starting 11. I wouldn't be as good as the best 11, but it would, it would be, it would be very competitive and we, we've never had that. So, the fact that I was playing in England and was one of three guys at that time, uh, Les Wilson was the other who played at Wolverhampton, and then Bruce Tromley played it uh, at Ipswich. But there was three Canadians in England, and there weren't many in the in in any other parts of, of Europe. So it was almost by default that you're in because you're you're playing professionally, and and uh, and not many of the guys were. Most of them were playing senior amateur and uh and would would uh would get picked up from those teams now talk to us uh back back in the day what was different what was the biggest difference uh within canada and within the sport of soccer that you see has changed and progressed now maybe it's fans maybe it's interest maybe it's media coverage but what's something that you you sit back like right now and you say, wow, I kind of wish it was like that when I played for the Canadian national team. Um, well, the, the first thing that sprung to my mind as you were speaking, what, what is different is, um, is the length of the shorts. Um, because <laughs> the shorts, when, we, when we played, um, the shorts were like high. And then we would all chuckle at the guys from the 60s with the shorts down to their knees. And as is the case with what fashion uniforms go the same way because they go long, they go short, they go long, but uh, the longer ones are more comfortable. I I can't tell you that because I lived through both stages. Anyways, what is different is, is the, uh, is the, I think it's just the advent of the professional game. And, um, and so I'll use the white caps as an example um, you know, we, we invest three, three million a year in player development. And, um, you know, that's for the most part, it's, it's a lost leader because you don't generate any revenue from that. And, and I, 
and I'm going to I'm going to get to what you might ask me um, as a result of that. And when when you sell someone like an Alfonso Davies, you recoup a lot of that money. But um, but it's still uh, it's still an investment. And so for the young kids that are playing the game now, I had to go to England and a couple of other players at that time went to England and and beyond that, that would be the case. But uh, the, the the three big the three MLS clubs, um, Whitecaps, uh, I keep calling them impacted, but it's FC Montreal yeah. uh, and TFC all have programs that ha- they heavily invest in player development. And so what we have now beyond that is we have an infrastructure, CPL, great addition to the, the soccer pyramid in that the players that aren't quite good enough, and we've already seen examples of players that couldn't quite make the MLS squads that are being bought by MLS squads. And there's, there's a handful of those and there'll probably be more over time. And then beneath that league one, which they have in Ontario is now something that is going across the country. So we have that infrastructure that a, a soccer playing nation, it's just, it's just second nature that, that you should have that. But we've had to create it and it's taken from, the NASL, even before the NASL, there was professional soccer. It didn't last long. The NASL was the longest at that time. But even when the NASL um, disbanded, at that point, then we had the Canadian Soccer League that started up. That was a, a good opportunity for players to play uh, and then move on from there, which a number of them did. So we have we have an infrastructure now. And I can tell you that... Over the next four years, with 2026 coming, 2022 before, and ideally our national team um, wins the game. Well, actually, scores a goal, because we didn't do that in 1986, wins a game, and you know, ideally qualifies for the next round. That would be – that, to me, would be success. And if that happens, and then everybody's in – our country is excited. It's then, well, where is the next World Cup? Oh, it's in it's in Canada. It's in Mexico. It's in the United States. And that four years will be the focus of the world because everyone's coming. And at that point, it's 48 countries, not 32. So it's grown significant. It will have grown significantly. Uh, so to me, the infrastructure we've got now is, is going to, I don't know if it'll be different but i think it'll be more entrenched it'll be stronger and it will that conveyor belt that is there for the best young players to to uh, play their way through is going to be providing more and more players that uh, are going to benefit us at the national team level so that's that's one thing that um I look back on when I I played for the U17 Canadian team and when we qualified for the World Cup, which was the first U17 World Cup that was ever had for women, we qualified, but we had to fundraise our way to get there because Mm -hmm. soccer in our country um, at the time, and you know, this was what, I don't know, 12 years ago now, it was still developing. 
now, uh, hopefully one day, God willing, I have children. I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm in a place that if my kids want to play soccer, like you said, they don't necessarily have to go to Europe to become a professional footballer. They can stay here and be in, in those developmental leagues, which I think is so exciting. And that's where I always tell people come Qatar. I, um, I'm obviously cheering for Canada, but I'm also cheering for USA. Sorry, Liam. I, okay. I, I want USA to do well in the group and same with Mexico because that's huge for CONCACAF. That's huge for North America. That's huge for the MLS. That's big for the CPL. And the better that these teams do, it's the, it, it does way more for our developmental leagues. So I'm just, um, I'm so happy to hear that because as someone who is young and, and 17 years old and, you know, the year was 2008, 2009 and soccer was up and coming. And of course there was interest, but it wasn't where it is now. I'm hopeful that in the next, like you said, four years, 10 years, this is more of a soccer country than anyone could have ever expected. Yes. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I often get over the years um, from people that are passionate about the sport of soccer, the, the question, well, you know, why, why can't it be as, as, uh, as entrenched as, as hockey? And my response to that is it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. like hockey is our national sport. We're, I mean, and it, and it won't be in my lifetime and I, I'm not sure it'll ever be, but hockey will always be, Canada sport doesn't mean that soccer can't um, can't be uh, more uh, mainstream in in Canada and and Alfonso Davies doing what he's done that's probably propelled us even faster to to another level because now we have a player that grew up in in Alberta and and I think in his first year. I mean, his ascent was was ridiculously fast, and 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 when we had him at the Whitecaps, he came in, and at fourteen, uh, he was he was playing for the U U seven. Uh, sorry, fifteen, fourteen or fifteen. He was playing for the U seventeens. He was too good within a couple of weeks for that. So goes up to the next level. Too good for that. Then he goes up to the next level, which is the second team um, beneath the, the first team. And he's too good for that within a couple of weeks. So every level he went to, he wasn't just another player. He was one of the best players. Then he gets to the first team. And I vividly remember his first game. He came on and he torched the left back he was playing against. The guy couldn't keep up with him. And so then he makes the moves to Bayern. And it's the feeling is, okay, it's going to take him a few years. It took him a year. And the next thing you know, he's winning a Champions League medal. Now, the more the more players that we have and now he's doing commercials for BMO and, and yeah, I saw that, that hot dog. That, yeah. that thing that uh, that is is gold for uh, the the profile of the sport. Having someone from our country be a Champions League winner, mm-hmm. and Jonathan David is is lighting it up in in France. So the more and more players that we have come through, and we will uh, that that go on to that um, that that type of of high level. It's just going to enhance the profile of the sport. It will enhance more partners to become involved. It will enhance more um, players growing up with the game, becoming true soccer fans and building that base of support. Um, so it's it, it's the game. The game, I don't want to say the game has arrived in Canada, but I think it's well on its way to establishing itself as a uh, – as a, 
as something that more than just the 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 the, the multicultural um, groups that we have in this country um, support, and we get the main we get the Canadian people that haven't that you know don't have that uh, that uh, that cultural background to support the sport, and it's it's happening, and we could see it happening right in front of our eyes. I think everything you just said, like maybe not realize, but this really couldn't be a more perfect time for Canada to actually go to a world cup. And it feels like the game is more stable than it's been in a long time. Like I remember once me, and my dad went to an Edmonton game. They were playing the Atlanta silverbacks at foot field. And there was literally 20 people in the crowd. And now mm-hmm. I've gone down to the Calgary Calvary games a couple of times in the CPL and stadiums full and like the atmosphere is great. And I guess like, I guess the question is like, what do you think the CPL now has to do to continue to grow in that way as well? And like, kind of maybe even expand teams and stuff like that. Do you think that's something the CPL has to do to continue to grow or how would, how do you feel about it? I suppose. I would, I would caution um, on the, the, the growth side, not because it shouldn't grow, but what, what you don't want to have happen is, is expand and then, and then have that regress. Yeah. Um, I think you you maintain what you've got, and the other the other thing too is, I honestly believe, and and I was the coach of uh, Vancouver eighty sixers in between the old NASL and and, um, and 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 MLS, and when we started up, we knew who we were. We were we were a a, a team in a league that was wasn't necessarily full-time we trained in the evenings but it was an opportunity to stay in the game and as a result of that you know we we managed to stick and stay in the end it that league folded as well but the the financing of of the of the sport is it's paramount because if you don't have the money you can't pay the players and if you're not getting people through the turnstiles then you're your your light on on finances and so I I would I think you 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 just you you accept where you are you know, and and where you are in the in the pyramid of play and what your function is and and there's nothing uh, to be disappointed about by being you know a tear down from MLS. It's it's what happens everywhere else in the world. First, second, third division. So there's no reason why that shouldn't happen here. But just just be um, be not be contented, but but just know where you fit into the the hierarchy and uh, and do the job that that you know has been uh, taking place, which is players going from CPL to MLS clubs. And again, that's what happens in the rest of the world. So, um, and then beneath that too, you, the, the, the leagues that, that exist, you're all, you're all, if you're all in it for the right reasons, you're in it for the player, the, the player that can actually find his way from youth soccer through the system and then on to Bayern Munich. Yeah. That's what I want to quickly touch. I, I, I don't want to, uh, 
ask you too many questions about Alfonso, but I just feel like he's such a staple. And I was saying this to Gene in our last episode, such a staple in not only Canadian soccer, but now global. He's a global footballer that he's in the conversation for top three left backs in the world right now. And he's transcended Canada soccer. And it's just his story. So unbelievable. Obviously, you know what his parents have gone through him being here in Edmonton, going to the Whitecaps and then signing this unheard of deal with the big Bundesliga club, who's obviously a Champions League contender. I don't think we talk about on the show all the time. Bayern Munich doesn't get nearly enough credit as they deserve among other big clubs in the world. But what was it like for you when you maybe saw Alfonso Davies play for the first time and then realize what kind of player you had on your hands? And and he's one of those players where the first time you see him, you realize, wow, like this, this, and then you also uh, take a step back and 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 think, okay, well, you know, let me let's not all get too excited because it's it's the first game. But he just kept doing it. And the thing about Al- Alfonso and and his family, like one of the one of the, the most difficult things we had to do um, in order to to relocate him here, uh, his mom said if he doesn't maintain his education, he's coming straight back to Edmonton. And, and he did. And, uh, uh, and so she was, she was contented, but I, I, there's a, there's a strong family unit there and it's evident in him. He's just a nice young man. And, you know, he's obviously feeling pretty good about himself right now. And so he should, but he's still, and I, I can't say that I've spoken to him since he went to Bayern Munich. uh, But I do, I do feel like he really hasn't changed all that much. Yeah. And, and if he has a little, then that's, that's normal given the, 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 the rocketing to, to, to the, the level that he's got to. So, um, and I think that that's why he's become the player he has because he's never, I don't think he's, he's ever thought that, you know, he's that much better than anybody else. He just goes and does his thing. And uh, so, and you know, there's there's certain things that that he he did when he was here that you still see now. And I remember thinking early on, he's his touch. Sometimes his touch is a is a is not a heavy one. I think it's by design. He'll knock when he knows that he's got green space in between him and the next opponent. He'll he'll knock it a ways in front of him. And I think what he does is he's got that 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 acceleration that he can turn on any time that what he, what he does is he put, knocks it far enough ahead in front of him to tempt the defender to come in. And if a defender goes to ground, I don't, I don't need to tell you this, Caroline, but if a defender goes to ground, you're done if you don't get the ball. And then the guy goes down and he accelerates and he nicks it and he's gone. And the guy's on his ass and can't catch him. So, but he does that a lot. And it's clearly something that he's doing by design because he knows he's got that that next gear that he can go into when he sees the guy committing to the tackle. Um, so, I, I uh, when I when I watch him play, it's 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 like watching him play here. He's doing to a better level of player what he was doing to players here, and it really does uh, fit in with. And what I said earlier, which was any level that he went up to, regardless of his age, uh, he was able to not just be another player. 
And, and then, and he did that at Byron and he's still doing that at Byron. Like he, it's not, his game hasn't stalled or plateaued. Like he just continues to get better and better. And I think that that will be the case given the fact that, is he 20, 21? (laughs) Yeah, I think he's early twenties. Early twenties. So he's got a, a, a fantastic career ahead of him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We love Alfonso Davies here. We're big fans. Mm-hmm. Well, you should be. How was how he embraced by the players? Like, obviously, sometimes you can kind of get those young guys who come in and then, you know, they're as skilled as they are. Maybe the older guys don't always like, not arrogance. I feel like that's the wrong word. I feel like, you know what I'm trying to say. But, like, did they like having him around as a young guy, I guess? Was he welcomed? You know, I wasn't in the changing room, but I, I can tell you this, and it's a great question because it also um, it also leads to something that is not necessarily just a uh, a soccer problem; it's a societal problem. Mm. Like if, if a kid, you know, if a kid or a, a young adult goes and wants to get into law school and comes out. Um, you know, he may not just want to be another lawyer. He may want to be a partner. And so many times in 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 uh, whatever career paths are chosen, you see this sense of entitlement without really you know wanting uh, understanding that you you need to earn your stripes. This is archaic, but if when I go back when I was in in England and I went there as a fourteen year old, my first day, I was taken into the boot room by the the groundskeeper he was my boss not the the coach of the team when i trained he was my boss but the groundskeeper was my boss because i was the apprentice i was an apprentice so i thought he was taking me in to show me where i put my boots he said well no that roll of boots there that's yours you need to make sure that they're polished for when the senior players come in in the morning i said whoa okay and then he took me they have communal baths at that time. Like all the players hopped into the communal bath. And he said, after training, you need to clean out the communal baths. And then your last chore is after a first team game, you need to sweep the terracing. These were all the things I was doing in the afternoons. And, I, but, and, and it was, it was, it was a way to find out, I think about character. Like if you know how you reacted to those kinds of things. So, and if I was, in the changing room, I didn't really speak to the senior players. I waited for them to speak to me. And it wasn't just me because I was a Canadian kid. It was just the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit maybe a bit extreme, but now we've gone the other way. And you've got young players coming in uh, and feeling like, okay, well, you know, when do I play in the first team? Well, you have to earn your right to get there. Alfonso never gave anyone the impression that, uh, that it had gone to his head. And as a result, all the players just gravitated towards him because he never, uh, ever illustrated that he was anything other than a young player who was doing really, really well, but needed the help of all the senior players and the coaching staff. So he was an ex- not the exception, but an exception. And there's others like him. But, you know, unfortunately, what we have is we have a, a time that we live in now where earning your stripes is is not necessarily something that uh that happens or that, not that happens but is is expected to happen for um for for kids that are that are uh, coming up and and again any profession not just football 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Love it. Uh, I want to kind of quickly go back to your experience at the 86 World Cup. What was that like for you? You know, when uh, I look, when I, I saw the draw, or actually witnessed the draw, and uh, Belgium, uh, Croatia, and, and Morocco, and Belgium first, I actually likened it to our first game, which was against France, who at that World Cup were one of the favorites to win it. And they had Platini, Jurassic, Anna. It was, it was a very good squad. So uh, it was a bit nerve-wracking. And... Um, but what an opportunity. And uh, so I remember standing in the tunnel. And when I say I liken it, I should finish that thought because I think Belgium, Belgium are, I don't know what they're ranked now, but they were two or three, or, and I think they're in the top five, which would have been comparable to, to France at that time. And so you, you've got an opponent that is one of the best in the world. And you've got some individual players there that all of our players are going to know about. In fact, probably know most of them. So for us, standing in a very narrow tunnel tunnel in the stadium in Mexico, and Platini was the captain, Bruce Wilson was our captain, I was behind him. And and the the tunnel was that narrow that you could actually reach out and and touch them. And, And I remember looking at Platini and looking at the, the players behind him and thinking to myself, wow, like I, I watched these guys play for their club teams, for their national team, and now we're going out to play a game against them, but not a friendly 
a meaningful game, a, a World Cup match. And um, I, you, you had, and once again, like my interaction, first interaction with Alan Ball, I had to stop myself, and I'm sure our players did stop my, stop ourselves from being fans and realizing, okay, let's let's let's, uh, let's get focused here and and see what we can do. On the on the way to the game, I should add this: on the way to the game, the the Mexican fans have this thing where they all line up where the buses are coming in for, for, for quite a distance. And what they do is they'll put up their hands up to, to illustrate the score. And most of them were going up like that, that. (laughs) So it was like, Whoa, uh, not much is expected of us. Right. And and understandably, because it was the first time we were going to the world cup, we didn't have a professional league. And so, anyways, we're going onto the field, and the game starts. And I, I, I remember settling in and feeling like, okay, my, I'm not awestruck anymore. And I think the same thing happened with every one of our players. And um, we, th- there was an instance that took place in the first, oh, had to be within the first ten minutes. And a guy, a ball got knocked, and I was at right back. A ball got knocked in behind me. And the French player, which was the guy that actually scored the goal, Papin, he cut across me and was in the box. Okay. And he was smart because what he did was he was on an angle. So he wasn't really in with a, a clear goal scoring opportunity. He just stopped. He stopped. And I was just running back at full speed. And I bowled him over, like literally bowled him over, went down. And then I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, I've, I've conceded a penalty. And then I'm listening for the whistle. And then I look up at the ref and he's going play on. And I was like, Oh, hey, hallelujah. No VAR either. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. You know what? Knowing VAR, we, Liam and I were joking before the show, VAR would still pre- probably get it wrong back then. <laughs> Maybe it would have been worse. There you go. So, uh, so we, we, I dodged and we dodged that bullet and then we settled in and we actually had a couple of chances and it wasn't until the 81st minute that, um, that they got the go-ahead goal. And unfortunately, I was involved in that because it was a, a long, high cross by the – I remember the, the Val Fernandez, very good midfielder, hung it up at the far post, and uh, I was underneath it. And then our goalkeeper, Paul Doan, who had been incredible, still the youngest goalkeeper ever to have played at the World Cup, Paul Doan. He comes to collect it, gives the shout, and is – he thinks there. I think he's there. And – the altitude messed with the ball and he was underneath it and uh-huh. I had stopped, which is a cardinal sin for a defender. I shouldn't have done because I could have headed it for a corner and their attacker didn't stop. And he went in behind me and headed it back across the goal line and Papan had it happen. So um, it was unfortunate. We ended up losing one. But even after that, we still pushed forward and we're looking for the equalizer. And there's a great shot because every World Cup, and I love watching them. They do their their documentaries. Mm-hmm. And the 66 World Cup, I watched that like 15 times because I just love love the, the whole sequence. And But they're all very, very well done. And then they talk about Canada very briefly because we, we, we didn't last very long, but I said we gave a good good account of ourselves. And then they show the goal that, that the French scored. And Platini is actually there's like this sigh of, and it was like, because a draw for them at that, that uh, against us 
would have not been acceptable in, in France because um, we were supposed to be cannon fodder for them. But I, and then, but the, there's the irony of also um, how you prepare yourself because we were all scared. And I think sometimes scared is a good thing because as long as you can get over that, uh, that feeling when the, the opening whistle goes, it, it's a, it's a good motivator. And then we put, watched right after our game, we watched Hungary play Russia, who were the other two teams in our group. Russia annihilated Hungary, 6-0, and it could have been 10. So we're watching this, and then all of a sudden we go from being scared to thinking, we're playing against Hungary now. Like, they, they were terrible. And we're thinking not that we need to go in with the same attitude that we did against the, the French, but we're going out and we're thinking, okay, let's just go and play. And it was a mistake. They scored after like 10 minutes and they ended up beating, beating us 2-0. So that, um, you know, then we play Russia in the third game and it's, there's nothing at stake anymore because we can't, we can't go through to the next uh, stage, but still you know, wanted to give a good account of ourselves. They beat us 2-0, but that game is most memorable for me and, and, and others uh, as well um, that, that placed a bet because the odds makers before us going to the World Cup were, were giving really good odds against us scoring a goal. So if, you actually, if we scored a goal and you put some money down, you would have, you, you would have done well. Right. And, and a few people did. Well, the best chance, and I still get, I still get reminded of this 36 years later, uh, every now and again, and you, you cost me money. Because uh, I, I would go up for corner kicks. I'm at the near post. Ball goes over my head. <laughs> down to my feet, just around the six-yard box. And the ball's there, and it's it's actually on my not my my best foot, but it's on my left foot. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm not going to have a lot of time. I got to get the shot off. So I touched it out and hit it, and I stubbed the the the, the, the turf. The worst. The ball kind of just trickled to the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper did me a favor because he actually dived for it, which he didn't have to do, but it, it he made it look a little bit better. But nevertheless, it, my reaction afterwards is I just kind of put my hands by my side, feet together, and I I wanted to just fall back and fall back into a big hole that uh, would take me away. So, yes, I, I could have scored a goal, and who knew that it would be 36 years later that we'd still be talking about um, – no, no, that, that – uh, our guys that are going there, someone is going to have the distinction of scoring the first goal for Canada at the World Cup. That could have been mine. Oh, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Who, who do you think is going to score the goal for Canada? Who do you ah, there you go. I think it, it, it could be any one of, uh, uh, well, Kyle Laren obviously had a, had a good run. Um, Jonathan David is, you you give him a chance in the box and nine times out of 10, he'll score. Um, Alfonso. Uh, but anytime you go for the, the obvious choices, it ends up being someone could be Steven Vittoria from a corner kick. Uh, who knows? But whoever does score that first goal will have that distinction for the rest of his, his life. 
They'll keep you in mind, I'm sure. They'll say, Bob, that one was for you. <laughs> yeah, well, that, uh, <laughs> it'll be nice. No, you know what? It actually, even when it comes up, it, it, at least at least people are talking about it. So that's okay. Yeah, we have a qu- question from a Twitter follower. When they found out we were talking to you, They and it's interesting that you brought up the comparison uh for this Canadian team playing Belgium to your experience against France. He said, how can Canada not feel overwhelmed by the moment of playing in a world cup against a powerhouse like Belgium? Well, what advice would you give to Canadian players in that moment where you yourself were standing in that tunnel and you're like, Oh my God, it's Platini. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's Kevin De Bruyne. Like, Oh my God. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I, I actually think I answered that question. Uh, but I'll, 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 um, I'll summarize it again. I just think, get over the uh, being, being the fan when you're in the time. And I'm, I mean, our guys and especially players like Alfonso, none of us had, were playing in, 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 or had won a Champions League medal, not even close. And Jonathan David and all these guys are playing at the top clubs and the rest of them are either in MLS or well, they're, they're in MLS. So they're all, they're all, uh, coming across very good players. So I, I'm not sure that they'd have the same um, type of feeling that we had going in because for us, we just never had anything like that, but I'm sure that there will be um, a little bit of it. And I, I think that when, when the opening whistle goes, you, you're focused, you, you, um, you understand what, what's being asked of you. And, and I do think that, that, um, and, and we, uh, had a, a fantastic coach at that time, Tony waiters, uh, who I had, had coached me with the white caps when we won a soccer bowl championship in 79. And he was very, very much, uh, attention to detail. And I know that John Herdman is, is the same, if not even, um, you know, more, um, uh, more of, of, of that way. And I mean, I, I was really impressed with, with John in games where he changed actually the formation of, of the, of the, of the team on the field and show different looks. And I'm sure he's going to go into that, that game with a, uh, an understanding that, okay, no, may, let's make sure when we don't have the ball that every one of the players understands what their role is um, wherever they are on the pitch, as it relates to where the ball is, and if you know what, and and it's it's kind of cliche, but make sure nothing nothing you know devastating happens early on, because if all of a sudden they get one in the first ten minutes, uh, their tails are up, and you're feeling like, oh dear, like, you know, now we're you know now we're on the wrong end of this. Yeah. So, uh, but the 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 final thing I would say is. Don't come off the pitch feeling like you you uh, you didn't you didn't do what you were capable of doing because you just ended up being a bit uh, uh, a bit frozen by the moment because it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity and if we knew that we would be the only ones thirty six years later that that would ever have that opportunity um, I don't think any of us would have believed it but. Uh, you can talk to any one of the players that played on that 86 uh, World Cup squad and, and they will all tell you that it was it was a, a moment that um, that that would would rank as one of the best in their playing careers and maybe in their lives. Amazing. 
Um, I wanted to talk about actually the qualifying for the 86 World Cup. So yes, I think it was a little bit different than it is right now, right? Like, yeah. you, uh, so what was it? There was two groups and then the winners went in three groups and the winners went into a final group. Is that kind of? Uh, yes, we, we started off. Uh, actually, there was there was a group and then the final four. Okay. Uh, we, we started off with. Um, um, I think it was Haiti. And then I think it was uh, it was it was Guatemala. And but just to give you an idea of the difference in interest. We played those two games in uh, in Victoria and at a Royal Athletic Park that has a capacity of, if 5,000, that would be tops. And it was full, and that the support was very patriotic. But you look at what, what, we, what we had throughout this round and the support in spite of the, the frigid temperatures in, in, <laughs> in your backyard, it almost, it almost became, um, this qualifying became about the tough Canadians mm-hmm. to be able to go and play, you know, in, in this, that those temperatures with the snow. And of course, you know, there's the, there's the now iconic jump into the snow yep. by Sam and Kubian and the rest of the players. So uh, at that stage, you know, we got through that round and then it was, um, and I'll, I'll kind of breeze through it. We, we played against Costa Rica at varsity. We ended up drawing one, one, which is a, bad result uh given that we had to now go to costa rica and to honduras and uh, but we made up for that dropped the dropped point by winning in honduras getting a draw in costa rica and then going to newfoundland to actually qualify for the world cup in a stadium that wasn't a stadium oh wow it was actually created then there were seven thousand people there there was bleachers that were brought in, and uh, but it was a fantastic experience. We were there for a week before the game in preparation. But the best part is I should go back to because our coach and the president of the association, uh, who resides in Ed- Edmonton, Jim Fleming at the time, he um, they decided that they pick a spot because whenever we're, we go and play, so we go and play in Mexico, they play us at high noon in the, the extreme heat. And the one time that we played there, we went to Toluca, which is the highest altitude in Mexico. So they always, they always use the opportunities that they have at their disposal, disposal to make it difficult for the opposition. So our guys, Tony and Jim decided that we go to Newfoundland. And so the, the Hondurans were scrambling for a map to find out where, where is Newfoundland. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was a great choice because it was the game and we needed to draw to get through. And in the end we won it, but um, you know, they were, they were, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't as cold as it could have been, but it still was uncomfortable for the, for the, um, the Honduran players. And um, you know, we managed to, to get the right result. And I went back to Newfoundland um, about four or five years ago. So, and they still, um, they're still celebrating that they hosted the game that took us to the one World Cup and the only, one and only World Cup we've ever been to. And we went back to the park and I, I, I said to them, this, this can't be the park. Like, cause there was, 
residential housing where I thought the seats were. Oh, and, wow. and, and so I'm saying, well, are you sure this is, this is the park? And so, you yeah, know, and there was a plaque on the, uh, on the, on one of the walls to say, this is where Canada qualified for the, the 1986 world cup. Uh, so it was very nostalgic to, to, to go back there. And it was also very um, gratifying that, uh, that they were also proud of the fact that, uh, that they were the ones that um, that hosted us in in getting to the World Cup. That's so. Do you get emotional at all? Do you ever sit back sometimes when you watch the World Cup and shed a tear? Be honest with us. Uh, this podcast. Yeah, I'm an emotional person. I'm I'm of Italian descent, so that uh, I think that that comes with the territory. But I, I don't. I know I never shed a tear, but I I get goosebumps for sure. Yeah, I, it's you're you're watching. You think, well, yeah, you 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 were there and you participated in in an event that I don't think anyone could argue with globally that it is the biggest sporting event in the world. And the fact that it's going to 48 countries uh, means that that level of interest will uh, expand by another, by another 16, you know, with the countries that are there. Did you witness the hand of God? Oh, I, 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 I'm, enthralled by all of that um, i okay talk to us bob i'm yeah. glad that we we got that in there uh, no the uh yeah I, I just think um it was so obvious and i can still see peter Shilton, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know like, it, it was a handball and so the one thing that i will say though is he he in spite of the fact that he cheated he had a great line and i don't know if either of you have seen this and i know liam you you might have heard this um so he he did an interview and he said somebody asked him, i said you know did you cheat and he never strayed he's not hand of god with a smirk on his face and then he said because Peter Shilton had said, what a cheat, and he really went after him. And so Maradona says, looking into the camera, he says, Peter Shilton. He says, yes. Uh, and it's through the translator. He's you know, very righteous individual. So if I were to ask Peter Shilton, if I headed one towards goal, and he made the save, but the ball trickled, and it trickled over the line, and he pulled it back out, do you think Peter Shilton would go to the referee and say, no, 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 that was a goal. That was a goal. And so I just thought that's very interesting that you've kind of turned it on him. And then the game itself, if you're going to cheat and do what he did, okay. But then you turn around and dribble through virtually the whole English team and score one of the best goals ever at the World Cup, at any World Cup. Yeah, he could he, he could he could quickly get you talking about that as opposed to the the hand of God. Yeah, that's it's always funny that isn't it that those two goals are in the same game and oh, they, they unbelievable, unbelievable. Like if that if I feel like the story would always be a lot different if he didn't go on and do that right away. I always remember Maradona did a, a charity game in England in Manchester probably fifteen years ago now, and he was just one of the managers, and he. Endless booze for ninety minutes. Just everybody just booed in, and it was like. But you can never deny 
how good he was, right? Like he was just, he was arguably the best player ever. He's my, he's my decision for greatest player to play. Obviously. I will never admit that. Yeah. Obviously (laughs) the hand of God being one, you know, it's iconic. Everyone who knows football knows of that moment, but to also, I always say on the show, what he did with Napoli and, and how he brought Napoli on the map and, and just, how he basically mm-hmm. ended up winning the Scudetto and, and everything with Napoli. And hopefully Napoli does it again this year in Serie A for Maradona. But doing well. yeah, they're doing pretty well. So yeah, I don't know. I just think that it would, it's crazy like to think that, you know, Bob, you were at that same World Cup where arguably that's probably the most iconic moment in, in football goals, at least. Did, when you were there, what was it? What was it like outside of this, like not playing? Like what was the environment like in Mexico and did, did you interact with like other teams and stuff? How's it kind of go? No, no, you are. I don't think so. <laughs> well, what, what, and, and so what, what happens is the, the group you get drawn into, that's initially where you base yourself out of, and then you're there in advance of the games. Um, uh, we played in, in Irapuato and Leon. Mm. And uh, the hotel that we stayed at built a grass pitch. So there wasn't a pitch there before and it was a fantastic grass pitch and they started that well in advance. So we walked out of our hotel rooms and straight to the pitch. So we were very isolated. You you weren't, you didn't see the other countries because they would have the same setup and it's, it will happen when it's hosted here in in Canada. Um, Teams will come in and they will have a predetermined site with a pitch and all the, all the necessities that are required to to be there for a, a length length of time. So, yeah, we didn't we didn't have a lot of of interaction with um, with others other than on on the, the match days. You mean you didn't play checkers with Maradona or chess? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. <laughs> uh, one quick question before we let you go, Bob, because we appreciate your time so much. What's a um, what's something about this Canadian team right now that might shock their opponents? Because obviously the experience is lacking on this Canadian national team, uh, and experience is huge and very valuable at tournaments. But I do think that they have a lot of special players, and they are a special team that maybe maybe can surprise viewers and opponents. Uh, There's no doubt they can. We're going into this world cup. And I don't want to suggest with, with um, unrealistic hopes. Um, But when when we went into the last one, I mean, our, our, it wasn't our goal or objective and nobody actually spoke about it, but I know that I felt we just wanted to be competitive. And then beyond that, you know, whatever happened, um, would be a bonus, and and we were competitive. We were we were in every game, and and you know, the hungry game is the one that we kind of um, threw away because we we went into into it with a with the wrong attitude. Um, but this group, the problem is, and and I I think you're you're right, Caroline, in that uh, we haven't been for thirty six years. So is there an element of surprise there because? We haven't been on the on the the World Cup stage for that many years, and I think there is with the 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 group of players. But if you're in the football world and you're in it and you're the the coach of any one of the three opponents that they're going to play against, you know who Alfonso Davies is. 
You know who Jonathan David is. Um, and, you know, there's there's others, Kyle Lahren, that there's guys that are doing it in Europe that will have a profile. So we have an element of surprise, but we don't really. Because if you, if you don't prepare properly for um, – for Canada, then you might you might get caught uh, as a result of that. So my my belief is, and I'll say what I said at the outset, which is you want to be competitive, which we're going to be. I don't think there's any any doubt about that. And then then this is interesting too, because and I'll use the uh, the hosting of the 1994 World Cup in the United States. I remember talking to people that weren't necessarily soccer fans, but their expectation of hosting a World Cup and their country in the World Cup was that they were going to win it. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have any idea that that the rest of the world had been playing soccer for a long time and there were established countries, and there's a handful of countries that win World Cups. So they went into that World Cup um, and and the the, the the purists understood. So the fact that they got through to the uh, the second round, you know, that was, in my eyes and most people's eyes in the game, that was a great achievement. But for the for the non soccer round, I was like, what? We're we're celebrating getting through the first round. That's that's not American. So in our case, I I i my hope is that people understand that it's still going to be difficult. Yes, we did very well in the qualifying. We finished top of the group. We outplayed Mexico. We outplayed the Americans. But now we're going into the World Cup and and you know, I don't know if I want to suggest the opposition is is significantly better than Mexico or the United States. Um, but it's 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 for all the marbles. So uh, I'd like to try and set the expectations for the non-soccer fan out there to suggest, hey, if if we're competitive throughout it, um, if we can, if we can, well, and we're going to score a goal, so that's that's a that's not even a debate. Uh, but if we can get a win and a draw, then I think we got a chance of getting through to the second round, and that is. That's my objective, and I, I doesn't matter what my objective is. But I, because I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to stifle John Herdman's objectives either, because he may, they may be different. But for me, and for all the people in our country uh, that are that tune in and aren't soccer fans, that would be considered a success for me. Liam, any other questions for Mister Bob here? No, I think I think it's just an exciting time right now for. Yeah. Canadian football fans to actually see this team at, you know, like you said, they're not just going to go into this tournament and roll over and they're not excited. They're excited to be there, but that's not the only objective. Like there's still a lot for this team to play for. And I think it's exciting. Like we're, what are we now? Two months away and it's, yeah. it's going to be good. Um, thanks a lot for coming on and talking with us about it. No, my pleasure. And, uh, the other thing that, that, we should note is the uh, the Olympic gold that the women won, and and how healthy you know that program is. And so when you when you suggest we're at a perfect time, we're at a perfect time because men, women, yep. uh, the growth of the game it's it's all happening, and uh, it's just nice to to be around to uh, to enjoy that. Perfectly said. That's what Gene and I were talking about last episode. I said it, it's we're at a time where both 
the men and women, it's exciting all around. It's just an exciting time to follow soccer here in Canada. And, you know, we, we follow the MLS. My dad and I have had season tickets for Toronto FC since the first season. And just to see the growth of MLS and now the Canadian women winning gold and some of my teammates on that team. And I'm so proud of them and happy for them in their journey. And now the Canadian men going to Qatar, it's just, it's an unbelievable time for someone who, um, Bob, like yourself, has the resume that you do. And then, you know, fans and uh, of the sport, like Liam and I, to just sit back and, and see everything that's happening in this country. So I'm excited. We, we, we say often on this show that we think Canada... Um, people aren't considering Canada and the talent they have in their squad enough outside of Canada in the conversation of of maybe potentially getting out of that group stage because, you know, Estacchio, he's playing for Porto. You know, a couple guys on Club Bruges who are playing Champions League soccer, Laren and Buchanan. Everyone knows Alfonso Davis, Davies, our goalkeeper. It was a big reason why, you know, we got through Mexico. So I just think it's a really good squad. And if they can just contain their their nerves, maybe yeah. maybe we have something really cool to celebrate and bob when that first goal scored i'm going to tell you right now i'm going to send you an email and say <laughs> I want you back on the podcast to talk to talk about that first goal scored sure no, that would be wonderful and but the, and the one thing that i just want to circle back on liam what's your background have you have you played and uh you play I play. I don't. I don't play well. I play, but uh, I. I grew up in. I grew up in Bolton. I moved to Canada. Oh, Bolton! All right. So, Bolton Wanderers fan. Luckily, I was there when they were they were good and in the Europa League and all that kind of stuff. So, not as good right now, but we're doing we're doing better. Bolton. Again, I've lost track. Where where are they? Uh, we're in the northwest. So, actually, it's funny. No, no, no. I know where they are. Oh, right. They are, but where are they? In oh, the- we're in we're in League One now. We're, oh, fifth, we're in League One. Okay, so we're in League we're- One. Yeah. Yeah, we had some. That's a long way from where they were. Yeah, it is, but I don't want to rub it in. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It was we were we were a lot further away two seasons ago. So now we're on the up. We got some financial stability now. We got a lot of international players. Like we're the we're the only team in League One, I think, that had to have that game postponed this weekend because of the international players. Ah, Oh, that's a good thing. Oh, it's a good thing. So we're on the up. It'll only be a couple of years. (laughs) All right. Liam's Liam's probably one of my only friends that I've that watches the game as much as yeah. I do. And we share this, you know, crazy knowledge for the sport. So he's been awesome to to do this with. And we both appreciate you so much in your time because we've taken up too much of it. But it's been too good of a conversation. Love to talk about the game. Thanks very Thanks. much. Thanks. That's a wrap for another episode of Kickback, and thanks so much for listening. You can catch Caroline and Liam here every single week on Tuesdays and Thursdays to give you the latest rundown on all things football. Please don't forget to subscribe and give us a nice five-star rating. Please and thank you. And for even more Kickback content, follow the 90th Minute on all your favorite social channels. See you next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.